Hey, Velocity Church, it's great to be with you this morning. Not exactly the way we normally plan to, being in person, but it's great to be able to still worship with each other, to praise God, even virtually. And so I'm glad that we were to be here uh, together this morning. One of the things I think about when we do video recording and now that we have church online is what if I put my foot in my mouth as if I haven't already done that at some point throughout the years. And so I asked Renee if she could think of a time you know, that would be good for me to share that where I'd put my foot in my mouth. And she said no. So I guess I really don't have any personal examples to share. And I, you know, I, I guess I've never, never done it. Okay. Maybe you don't uh, believe that. I don't believe that either. There've been plenty of times uh, that I've done that and she's being very gracious to me and doesn't want me to embarrass myself by sharing one of those moments because it certainly happened plenty of times. The one that sticks out to me the most in my life is that uh, at some point when I was a teenager, maybe I was a young, young adult, I had a disagreement with my mom and I said something stupid because I was more interested in winning, you know, whatever we were talking about. I don't even remember what it, the disagreement was about. And my dad came to me, pulled me aside later, and he said, hey, when you talk to your mom this way, this is what she heard and this is what she felt. And I just felt horrible at that moment because I knew I wasn't really thinking about what I was saying. I was just trying to win in the moment. And so there was a major point in time in my life where I put my foot in my mouth and I still think about that to this day. It's one of those things that I will never forget. And that's the thing with words. You know, they tell you in elementary school, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And they were lying when they said it. You know, it's kind of one of those like fake it till you make it type of mantras that we say, hoping to believe that it will be true. But the older we get, the more we remember things that people said to us or said about us, you know, things that we've heard along the way and they stick with us and they can be very painful. Anybody that's been gossiped, gossiped about, anybody who's been falsely accused of something or slandered, cursed at, bullied, been the recipient of anger, words can absolutely be incredibly painful to us. Things people have said to us and that we've said to them can stick around forever. Words have the power to bring about either great change or inflict great pain. And as we've been reading through and studying through the letter of James in the New Testament, hopefully you've been reading through the five chapters of James as well. You've had the opportunity, hopefully, to, to read through at least a couple times as we've been in this sermon series. Um, James calls out how we use our words as being one of the most important aspects of how we do our faith. To put it plainly, our words and the words of others have much to do with how our faith works in our lives. We've been introduced to our Lord and Savior through the power of words. Some of us have been hindered from Jesus through the power of words. And God is described as a good, righteous, holy father throughout scripture. And some are able to relate to that because their earthly fathers, because of their encouragement, their engagement in their lives, the words that they've used for others, it's incredibly difficult to think about God as being a good father because of how their earthly fathers have talked to them and treated them uh, in their lives. I can think of plenty of examples of things throughout the years that people have said about me or to me. And unfortunately, as many encouragers as I've had and do have over the years, it always seems to be the voice of the discourages, discouragers who are a little bit loudest, or at least, you know, those, those voices kind of echo a little bit more in our memories. And I think that's one of the things that the evil one does to bring us down and for us not to experience some of the joy and blessing that God wants us to experience through 
our words. I'll never forget taking an art class as an elementary school kid, and the teacher asked if anyone needed a green crayon. For me as a kid, you know, I wanted to be honest and I wanted to be right. And when I looked down at my crayon, it was something that was yellowish, you know, maybe a light shade of green with it. I mean, the, the name of the crayon, whatever it was, started with yellow. So I was like, well, I've got a crayon that is the shade of yellow. And so I said, I need a green crayon. Well, as the teacher came around and she was looking out, she's passing out green crayons. She got to my desk and she saw the crayon that I had there and she leaned over and she grabbed my face in her hand and squeezed and she said, don't you ever lie to me. And I have never forgotten that as a kid because here I am, I'm looking, I'm thinking, I was trying to tell you the truth. I don't have a green and I assumed that's what I needed because that's what you said we needed. <laughs> and I'll never forget that where that teacher, I mean, hopefully she's found Jesus uh, from, uh, <laughs> you know, from that, that point in her life. But I, you know, I didn't like her very much at that time. And I think about it now and I think about how I interact with others and I think about how I talk to my kids and, and maybe sometimes I have to discipline. Well, I do have to discipline them sometimes. And I think about that and I'm like, Man, I hope I don't say this in such a way that it, it you know, cuts to the core of who they are, where I miss the opportunity to have a teachable moment where that teacher could have said, oh, this is okay because it's a shade of green and it doesn't have to be exactly green. Or, you know, that they come away from it thinking, oh, man, you know, my dad just really laid into me for, for no reason. You know, I don't want them to ever think that in the way that I use their word, my words. And so here's what James has to say about our words, or as he puts, puts it, our tongues, from James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. By the way, I, I feel this statement from James very deeply in my soul. I, it's one of the contributing factors, I think, to uh, why I can't eat anything on Sunday mornings. So for me, it's water. That's all I can drink. I don't eat anything. Every once in a while, maybe I've had a little bit of something, you know, as a snack or, so, you know, something like that. Um, but I just can't because I feel very strongly about the responsibility that I have in teaching God's word when I'm when I'm preaching. It's mentally and physically and spiritually taxing to do so and I get nervous about it every single time because when we speak our words, when we're teaching God's words, we know that it has a pa the power to change lives for eternity. And as limited as I may be, I don't want to get in the way of the Holy Spirit doing his thing. And so that's how James uh, talks out, you know, teachers, watch out. Hey, especially teachers of God's word, we're going to be judged more strictly. And then he says this to make us even more nervous. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by man mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. 
It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praising and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And James doesn't pull any punches here at all. In fact, if we hear what James is saying, we'll come away wondering whether or not we should ever speak again. He speaks very strongly about the evils of the tongue set on fire, you know, by, by the fires of hell. And yet as James points this out, he's, he's also saying that the tongue is capable of great goodness. And so from that standpoint, remaining silent isn't even an option. After all, as Paul points out in Romans chapter 10, how then can they call the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching them, which requires words? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We've got good news to share, and it's going to be shared in good deeds, certainly, but it also requires good words from us. And we can never underestimate the power of speaking the good news. What James is cautioning us on is that with the words we use and the way we use them, there's a great cost paid when the gospel is undermined. In verse 6, James says the tongue is also a fire. It's a whole world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. And for anyone who's been damaged by words or has damaged others by their words and felt the impact of that, you, you understand and you can appreciate the, the reason James is speaking in such strong terms. And when, Jesus, when James says that the tongue itself is set on fire by hell, the word that he uses for hell there is Gehenna. And this is a Greek transliteration of uh, the Hebrew words Gehenim, which is referring to the Valley of Hinnom. And this is a valley that was talked about all the way through the Old Testament, all the way into the New Testament. Let me read you a passage from the Old Testament that describes what this valley had represented through the centuries. Because at this time, when James is writing, the Valley of Hinnom had become a, a trash heap that continually was on fire. That's what they did with all the, the uh, waste that they, that they dumped there as they set it on fire. This is how it's described way back in the Old Testament in Jeremiah chapter 19, starting in verse 5. They have built the high places of Baal to burn their children in the fire as offerings to Baal, something I did not command or mention, nor did it enter my mind. So beware, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer call this place Topheth or the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, but the Valley of Slaughter. And this is the history of this place that James says, hey, if our tongues are not in check, if they are not tame, this is the type of world, this is the type of life that they will produce. And we can wonder how people could get to the point, for example, of even thinking that sacrificing their children would ever do anything positive in their life. How do you get to the point where you think, oh, I'm going to sacrifice my child to this false idol? And the answer is they were persuaded and they were taught to do so through words, words that transform their thinking, but also transform thinking that definitely did not originate with God, and that shows the power of our words when they're not used in the way that God has called us or God intends for us to use them. And the example of the hell that words can bring isn't left to ancient history. The same idolatrous tendencies exist in the modern day, and our culture convinces itself that it's okay 
by even the same idea of sacrificing children. We just call it a different name. We call it abortion. And we create an inconsistent sliding scale of morality. And we use words as a way to convince ourselves that it's okay. The words we think and speak and dwell on have life-changing power, both for the good and for the evil, as James points out. It shouldn't be this way. Blessing and cursing, fresh water and salt water, they can't come from the same place. And if somehow they were able to, it'd be clear which side would win out. And like we've been talking about before, James is all about putting our faith into practice, doing our faith so that it becomes a faith that works in our lives. And so it helps us to know what to do to evaluate this idea of taming our tongue and it being a restless evil in our lives. The best starting point is looking at our words and how we use our tongues and asking ourselves this. Is my speech consistent in every area of my life? And for sure, in different relationships we have in life, you know, there's a there's a pendulum there that might swing from formal to informal. You know, we have different ways of relating to people that we're working with or that, that are clients or that are customers or, you know, family members versus really close friends versus somebody that we just met. But what we're really getting at is, is what is what we say consistent with us being the same person in each of those areas in our life? And I'm not even necessarily talking about authenticity here. There are plenty of times in our life when we're authentically bad and the words that we say are authentically wrong. Uh, maybe it comes out of our fear or selfishness or pride or feelings. You know, they, they make us hypocrites. Um, it's not always great to be your authentic self if we're cursing our fellow human beings, as James would point out. And so James points to our speech being consistent with the praise that we offer and give to God in all the other areas of our lives. How can we praise God, James says, and curse what God has created and says is very good? To be fair, the brokenness of sin is certainly a curse, but God is greater. And the faith, hope, and love that he sustains in us is far superior in its praiseworthiness. This message from James is a gut check for Christians to be honest about who we are being. And it's a callback to the character that Jesus warns his followers uh, to, uh, to uh, ward themselves against. Jesus in Matthew chapter 15, uh, in teaching against some of the religious leaders of the day, says this in verse 11, What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders of the day were extremely offended by this. And Jesus' disciples come up to him and says, hey, do you realize that, you know, they took this really personally, what you said, because they cared about purity laws and they cared about food laws and all of those kinds of things. And Jesus says in verse 17, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. And so Jesus contrasts the religious practice of food purity and the self-righteous attitudes of the Pharisees with the actual problematic nature for humanity. That what comes out of our mouths is going to be much more important than what goes into them. Not that I'm recommending that you stick just anything into your mouth. That's not the point either. The key is where those things that come out of our mouths come from, and that's our heart. And if we're separating people depending on what groups we're with, being a different person, and we're not being consistent about the praise that we give God and the cursing that we're giving others, 
and we're complaining and cursing and tearing down or gossiping or speaking about other people when we haven't spoken to them first, then we've got a restless evil that's poisoning our praise to God and is coming from our hearts through our mouths. James is pretty clear with the fact that no human can tame the tongue. So we might wonder, well, what are we to do about that? Uh, we've all stuck our foot in our mouth. But there is one who can tame the tongue, and he's the one who created it. And as disciples of Jesus, we begin the, we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit to counsel us and to help us along the way with what we say. So I want to give us two things for us to do this week. The first is this. Evaluate what we are consuming in our hearts. Like Jesus says, it's not what's going in that defiles us, it's what's coming out, and that comes from our hearts. The media, the entertainment, the news, the friendships, the products, the food, the material possessions, work, all the things that affect our moods, that affect what we're thinking and our interactions with others and cause us to say certain things or think uh, certain things. You know, maybe, maybe as we evaluate those things, there's something there that needs to be removed. Maybe there's something that we can think of that's like, you know what? This watching this TV show, you know, the subject matter and what's it about, it's not improving my mood very much. Or maybe, you know, watching the news or listening to what's going on in the media, or maybe it's scrolling through the doom scroll of social media. You know, that's not really very beneficial for me and my attitude and what I have to say and think about the people and the world that God has created around me. And so maybe it's about evaluating that and saying, you know what, I don't need that in my heart because I can see the evidence of how it's poisoning things by what's coming out of my mouth. And so I want to encourage you to look at that and say, hey, what's the one thing that I need to remove this week that's affecting my heart and what I say? The second is this. I want us to pray someone, pick someone this week and do that this week. Along your evaluating, you know, what's an impact in your heart. Pick someone to praise this week as an act of praising God. And here's, here's what I mean by that. Whether you're communicating to someone through the written word or spoken word, I want us to think about what it leads to praising God or cursing someone he created in his image. And we can think about our attitudes and what we're talking about, the subject matter that kind of plays into that. And so pick one person in your life this week and write or say or send a voice recording, whatever, whatever it is, or a little video or something, something praiseworthy for that person as a reflection of the praise that you and I offer up to God for who he is and what he has done for us, recognizing that that other person has been created in the same image of God that we were created in. No human can tame the tongue, but God can. And this has the power to change everything through the good news that Jesus has given us to share with others through our words. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this moment that we can pause, that we can consider how eternally life-changing the words of the gospel have been for us, that it has introduced us into the faith, uh, the grace, the mercy, the love, the hope, the peace, the joy that we can experience because of who you are and what you have done through Jesus Christ. And God, we ask for you to help us to share that same joy with others and how we praise you through our speech. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.